0: Welcome to another episode of Fintrepreneur with Dave, Eli. And this episode, I've got Gary Schwartz, good friend of mine and president of our industry association, the Canadian Lenders Association. Thanks for coming on the show. One thing I'm super excited about, you know, chatting with you is we typically talk to an entrepreneur who's really focused on a specific thing, right? And in this case, by definition, you've got, you know, your day-to-day in all sorts of different Aspects of the fintech space. The CLA has grown tremendously, members across all sorts of verticals. And so you've got this amazing bird's eye view that I'm really excited to sort of poke into.
1: Yeah, I'm a hub and spoke guy.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. We'll talk today about the association and how it's developed over the years, what you're currently seeing in terms of activity and trends, and thoughts about the future and how you think things are going to unfold and kind of where are you spending your time and passion. So let's kick it off with the CLA. For those who don't know much about it, tell our listeners about it.
1: Yeah, well, the the CLA is uh, initialism, obviously, for the Canadian Lenders Association. And the Canadian Lenders Association has as you indicated, grown, and it's grown in mandate as well as size. We started off, I think it's five years now, back as a monthly crew of six lenders, three in the S B and space and three in the consumer space. And uh, initially, the idea was just to have a voice, a cohesive voice for the alternative lending sector. And, uh, And I'd come in because I just sold one of my companies to a lender and I was uh, in a transitionary period. And I've always believed that if you're going to get into a sector, you want to get involved and take a leadership role. And uh, through that, as you indicated out of the gate, become sort of a hub and spoke player and see trends and through that, take advantage of those insights. So um, when I came into the fold, I initially said, hey, if we're going to have an association, it has to be bigger than alternative. It has to talk about what alternative is great at, which is innovation and changing the way things work. But that's a trend not only in the alternative sector, it's a trend right across lending in Canada. And so my mission out of the gate was to involve every aspect of lending and make it into this very dynamic ecosystem. So we now represent everything from deep subprime, you know consumer all the way through to the banks, a number of banks sitting on our board and also all sectors. So we've expanded it from your SMB and and consumer you know through to mortgage and crypto back lending and buy now pay later and automotive, and the list goes on. And I'm sure we're going to get into sort of more detail on that during the call. But the CLA is a very dynamic place, and I'm privileged to be part of the community.
0: It is the Canadian Lenders Association, by definition, focused on lenders. But talk about the member base that's providing back-end solutions and other aspects of fintech, whether it be payments, etc. Do those companies also play a role as members? Oh, yeah. Absolutely,
1: absolutely. And and so that's the ecosystem play, right? Because ultimately, for example, payment is the flip side of the lending coin. And there are so many aspects to the lending journey, which has to be optimized not only by the lender, but the vendors that provide services, you know, to that lender. So we've made a cohesive, we've made a attempt to to make sure that everybody is included in the organization. And so we have if you go to the website which is the canadianlenders.org you'll see that we have two sort of big sort of catch-alls one is the the lender and the other one is the vendor and if you go there you'll you'll see all the different areas of lending that we cover and if you go into the vendor section and we have an approved vendor section vendors that are approved to support our lenders you'll see that a very diverse group of companies that support our ecosystem as well. And we're very proud of that because it makes for dynamic and exciting community. You know, our vendors include everything from obviously things like accounting and legal through to adjudication, you know, banking as a service. You know, a lot of what I refer to as, as open finance services and if you take the journey of the loan through to collections, innovative collection solutions, uh, creditor insurance, you know, a lot of data aggregation, a lot of decisioning technology, fraud detection, and you know, right in the front end, lead generation, the origination services, et cetera, really every single aspect of the lending journey, which we can help optimize and accelerate. And at the end of the day I like to think that as an organization we are really borrower centric. Although our community is is made up of lenders, at the end of the day our mission is to service a new generation of borrowers in Canada. And uh, everything that we can do to make our community more inclusive, more personalized to optimize the speed of delivery of services to optimize the way things are presented and digitized so that somebody can access services from the comfort of their home, etc. Those are things that we aspire to improve on a quarterly basis.
2: So Gary, I, I, you know, recently we went to your Canadian Lender Association event, I think it was was last month. And, uh, you know, what struck me about it is, although it's such a big country and such a big ecosystem, it it did feel like a small ecosystem of people, you know, you sort of get to know everybody relatively quickly. And, you know, CLA does a great job of sort of, you're always saying, you know, here's 15 minute break, go make a deal. You know, you're you're really trying to push this (laughs) deal making stuff. And so, which, which is great. Within the CLA, you've also got these sort of subsections of uh, roundtables, you call them, right? Where you know specific right. verticals get the players in that in that industry to to get together and sort of brainstorm together, maybe work on uh, government relations and, and other things that can help each other. So, talk a little bit about that mm-hmm. and, and what what you're trying to achieve with these sort of roundtables.
1: Right, right. So it's interesting. You know, the roundtable concept sort of came out of. Came out of COVID, right? So, you know, historically we we would have always attempted to get people together so that they could uh, to meet because there's so much value, obviously, in pressing flesh and being together as a community. But uh, during COVID, we wanted to make sure that everybody had an area where they could discuss to do a SWOT analysis, to work out, you know, what are the things that are, that they can work on as frenemies to accelerate their business. And also what are the things that are a challenge that they as a community can work together to mitigate, whether that be existential or or, or something that they can work on that is innovative to drive things uh, forward. And so we created these round tables. And the whole idea with, with the round table is that it was a group based on a sector or based on some area uh, of interest. For example, we have uh, automotive round table and we have the mortgage round table and we have the SMB uh, round table, uh, BNPL round table. And it's populated with all the, the members within that community, all the companies that are working on that specific area of lending. And we meet in a cadence, which sort of is mandated by the community. So sometimes it's monthly, sometimes it's quarterly. And it's so exciting because we sit around the table virtually, and it's the first time for many of these companies that they've had an opportunity to sit down with their competitors and together talk about trends and things that they can work on collectively. And so we have those roundtables which are sector-based, and then so we also have horizontal roundtables which cut across all the sectors. For example, we have a risk roundtable and we have a servicing roundtable that looks at collections, for example, or we have a DEI and i roundtable that looks at uh, inclusion within the fintech um, ecosystem. And those are equally as exciting. We'll have all, for example, the chief uh, risk officers together talking about risk across all those different sectors. And that creates an incredibly vibrant community outside of the physical events. And so when we have a physical event like the lender summits, suddenly we can continue that dialogue and continue that energy. And that's why you've got a room of 500 people hobnobbing about and having coffee and and sharing ideas. And I've always looked at the CLA as a space to do what we need to do, you know, policy and discuss all the things that we've touched on on this call as well. But the primary focus that I have is what you mentioned, which is deal-making. At the end of the day, we're businesses. We need to grow our businesses. And in order to grow our businesses, we have to work on partnerships, work on business opportunities, whether that be an M&A or whether it be raising capital or whatever it is that needs to be done, we need as a uh, organization to support that activity. And uh, we really work hard to make that happen. And I'll say it here that you know, if anybody needs to get something done, they need to contact me, and I will introduce them to folk in the ecosystem that will help them. I'll give you example. One of my companies just called me a few minutes before this call and said that they need somebody to help them with KYC, and I introduced them to three KYC companies that are members of the association, which are approved vendors. So that's the kind of dynamic, uh, you know, ecosystem that we live in, and it's a lot of fun. And I think you know, as members, we try to get things done.
0: That really is fantastic, Gary. You mentioned that it started as a motley crew of six lenders. You've got the vendor bucket and the lender bucket. How many in those two buckets now? How many companies are involved in CLA?
1: We have a total of shy of, I guess, three hundred companies in the business of lending. When I say the business of lending, I mean companies that are focused on the lending ecosystem. It's a fairly big number, you know. Something that obviously we worked hard to grow. My goal is to make sure that we have. Really, every single incumbent financial institution on board because obviously, uh, uh, predominantly, our, our membership is made up of alternative fintechs. Um, so, my goal is to grow that. We have a number of banks involved, you know, neo banks through to digital banks through to the incumbent five. RBC is chair of our BNPL roundtable, uh, BMO is on our board, very active. And it's exciting to have them at the table. And as a tangent, you know, we had one of our panels at the summit we called uh, David and Goliath because I was thinking, hey, you know, you've got the incumbent guys, one of them is David, one of them is Goliath. And then you have the fintechs and the lenders who can partner with them. By the end of that panel, I realized that there is no David and Goliath. Everybody's a David. And the Goliath is really the incumbent, the legacy stuff that both the bank and the fintechs are working together in partnership to reinvent. And it was kind of a epiphany for me because we're not in a them and us ecosystem. There is no delineation, even though obviously banks are regulated differently from fintechs. From a borrower perspective, it's just one ecosystem. You start on one side and you'll take a loan and you'll nurture yourself to another a lender and you'll move yourself hopefully up from say your uh, subprime to prime and walk into a corner bank. The borrower doesn't see any differentiation, and we shouldn't either. We should be a well-oiled machine, and we should be all just fighting to change legacy systems and improve borrowing for Canadians across the nation. Yeah, that resonates a lot, Gary.
2: I think I was listening to that panel as well. And it without the big banks supporting the fintechs, it's a lot harder for the fintechs to do what they're doing but also on the flip side the banks are really benefiting from some of the, the fintech technology that's come out right and there was a couple on that panel that have done really well with the banks so far in in transferring their legacy system over to new systems making things a lot more efficient and so it's a win-win on both sides obviously there's some some pieces of the pie where you know there's a bit of a competitive threat but overall it's complementary right the the fintechs are not really going to go and try to compete on the enterprise level and give out $100 million lines of credit, right? But at the same time, banks may not want to lend to the smallest of clients, you know, looking for $5,000 at a time sort of thing. It's not just that. It's that banks, and
1: I think banks are aware of this, banks aren't great at innovating. I mean, that's just not their thing, right? Yeah. So they are aware that what they're good at being is, and I don't mean to be dismissive, but they're really good ledger and they do that really well. And the government relies on those banks to be a depository solution in Canada and then build service on top. I think banks are absolutely have embraced this idea of open finance and embedded financial solutions that they can take in as APIs and and service their borrowers more effectively. And so the whole world is based on the financial universities is based on laddered services, right? So the first rung being in the incumbents-based depository services. And then you say, Oh, hey, you have your deposits with me as a five-year-old, and you now 20. Well, let's get a student loan, let's get your first mortgage, let's get some insurance. And so the more innovative solutions and optimization you can do of that process, the more profit there is to the bank. I think there's a huge appetite. For partnerships in in the
2: marketplace, hey, you seem to be pretty bullish on open finance. I think uh, you know we are too. I don't know that I'm fully aligned in that. How far we've gone in Canada, I think we've got a long way to go on the open finance side. But it's exciting to see the banks playing ball a little bit, right? And yeah,
1: so... <laughs> I, I think, um, you know, hope springs eternal. Open banking and open finance are things that are aspirational. It's hard for large institutions uh, to let go, and so it's not something that happens overnight. But I think I think we're all aware that some flavor of uh, open banking is going to be the dominant flavor of 2024, 2025. And uh, how we get there, it may not be a revolution, it may be an evolution of what we have, but Definitely, things are going to change, and I think that banks should be aware, and I think some of them are that they need to. There has to be some creative destruction in the way that they operate. They need to create entities that compete against that they own that compete against them, so that there's um, as as we change the way banking works in Canada, that they are taking ownership of that process. Otherwise, you can see it in the rearview mirror. I mean. Look at, the, look at the music industry, look at, at telecom, look at retail. Every one of those industries has been severely disrupted. And the only reason that the banking system hasn't gone through that is because we're highly regulated and everything is moves at a snail's pace, which is good in some ways. But there is no question that The consumer demands different services that the bank right now cannot provide without partnering and without having data flowing freely at some point. And aspirationally, the CLA is a big proponent and advocates for open banking and open finance every occasion we can.
0: Yeah, I think one very logical way for banks to stay involved as fintechs spin up products is to fund the portfolios. You know, that's a very simple and obvious partnership. And I I think there's actually a long journey there because we're far from having all of the big five really embracing fintech originated credit and specialty finance and and providing facilities for those businesses.
1: But Dave, I, I think that although obviously that's a big piece of that the banks that are part of the community, the CLA community, participate in and take advantage of, and, and we would like to grow that. You're absolutely right. I think that if that's the only way that they participate in the our sector, that eventually they are going to paint themselves into a corner. And the way I see it is, you know, if you look at at uh, telecom, for example, if the telecom, as it has, has painted themselves into a corner, but basically losing touch with the services that they monetized, and now they're just a uh, A dumb pipe, you know, they're they're essentially a data pipe that everybody else is monetizing. And if you're just a source of capital for others innovation and you're not actually owning the latter solutions that you historically have supported, you're going to diminish your position in the market substantially.
0: That makes sense. Let's talk a bit about trends. So CLA's been around for five years. I'm actually of surprised when you said that because you know we've gone from six members to 300 and have been through so much that i guess the last five years feels like 10 years plus there was a pandemic in there all sorts of fluctuations with interest rates and so on you you must have already seen in the short five years some spaces really blossom for a little bit and then maybe come back down to earth you know what have you seen over the past five years and and as we sit here today what's you know, maybe surprising to our listeners that you're really kind of seeing a trend on.
1: Yeah, gee, big question. Well, first of all, you won't be able to see this in the podcast, but you see all this gray hair. That's five <laughs> years. I think that if I was to look at trends over the last even three years, I would say that one of the primary trends I've seen is so sort of the the rise in alternative data as a pillar in our sector. You know, helping consumers and and uh, SMBs build. Their credit more intelligently, more holistically, specifically in the consumer space. You see it a lot, right? With uh, taking data from rent repayment or BNPL reporting, uh, or you know, I I have so many companies that that I'm involved in that that report financial data that that never would have touched the bureaus historically. Like um, there's a company called MIQ out of Calgary that works with the cooperatives. And so that's cooperative and savings and loan. That's stuff that doesn't hit the traditional financial marketplace. It's done, obviously, in communities of trust, communities of interest. And they report all of that to the bureaus. And the bureaus then can allow that individual to move from cooperative lending to mainstream lending opportunities as well. So I think that that all hold alternative data trend, I I see. The other one is, which touches on that, the Venn diagram is financial inclusion. I think there's been a big emphasis on on making sure that new to Canada or credit invisible are served. We work very hard on that. We're coming out with a a white paper that we're writing with um, with TransUnion on on financial inclusion. It's a big rally cry for us because As we service the whole ecosystem north of payday, so we don't touch payday, but north of payday, we want to service every Canadian that needs access to capital, needs access to credit. And so we want to be able to equally serve service superprimes as we do, you know, subprimes and data is a big piece of that, but also just an awareness that every Canadian has to have as an inalienable right the access to credit so open credit for all you know my car breaks down i can't get to work i uh, have a health issue it is an inalienable right and it helps people move out of poverty and move towards you know mainstream for a number of individuals the one thing that i and again a lot of my Venn diagrams in this conversation the one thing that i see a lot is are companies that are you know we talked about laddered services and we talked about depository accounts as being the first rung of that ladder with the banks I see a lot of companies in obviously small bubbles emulating that with a different first run. So instead of being a depository, a foundational service provider like a bank, and then laddering services on top of that, you'll have a company that'll come in with a totally different value proposition, but they answer a financial need for a community. And then they do exactly what the banks do, which is say, oh, well, if you're using us for this, you know, rent. You're a renter and I'm helping you with with your rent payments or whatever. That's the first run. Oh, I can then help you with a loan to get your sofa. I can help you with other things which are ladded on top of that use case. So I, I see all these new innovative ladders sort of springing up in the marketplace where you have a consumer coming in and you're building a trust relationship around your lender and they're providing value-added services that historically may have only been available in your quarter bank, suddenly you have it in the wild. So maybe those are three trends that I see.
0: What have you seen maybe a little bit more diving into more specifics in Hmm. fintech companies laddering services over top? Maybe a few examples. I know that in the SMB lending space, which is kind of our home and, and where we've come from, and now we're doing B2B, BNPL. Which is, I guess, uh, kind of our way of laddering. But historically, SMB lenders have tried a few things. They've tried to provide additional information to the borrower. Hey, you know, you borrow from us, and and we finance your business. We can also provide you with information like a dashboard on how your cash balances are trending and what's going on in terms of reviews on your business online and things like mm-hmm. that. And you know, there's been, I would say more attempts at laddering than success in general across SMB lending. So I'm curious to see where do you see the rubber really hitting the road where laddering is becoming really successful.
1: Yeah, I mean look, in order to ladder successfully, you need to have an install base, right? So it's a priori that you have to have a fairly large community. Otherwise no laddering of services has a scale to be successful. And uh so that is probably being the Achilles heel of, of that type of model. But if you do have a community. And, and you just pointed out that you have a perfect example of laddered services, which is what you've done with your B2B, BNPL services. You have the trust and the understanding and the insights around the SMB sector. And you've said, okay, on top of that, we can innovate and create installment services and marketplaces. That is essentially a sort of a, lat, uh, a way of of creating additional value on top of the insights and the community that you've built, you know I think that Merchant is a tremendous example of a company that's really diversified into a funder. So you've got your capital uh, play, you've got your SMB lending play, and now you have this uh, BNPL marketplace play. And 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 then when that becomes incredibly large, whether it be insurance or other sort of insights that you you could provide around accounting or the ability to streamline and, and automate processes for your merchants, which is critical for them. Cash flow management, you know, things like anything that helps them, which you now have an insight into, is that value add. But obviously, you're never going to put another rung in the ladder until your foundational piece is strong and uh, your first rung is strong and it's big enough because if it isn't big enough, you can't in any way dilute your focus by providing the second, or third and fourth run. But I, I do see that as a trend generally, or at least I see it in a lot of pitch decks.
0: <laughs> and- yeah, I think the critical mass point is absolutely on point. In order to execute well in the next run, you have to... Be able to have dedicated resources to execute that next run well, and you have to be at a certain scale for that to be possible. It's interesting to me. I've seen a few pitch decks lately where the first rung is a loss leader, and they they're banking on the next run. So they're they're going to sell the first rung at a zero gross profit, but yeah, get this install I... base really quickly because by doing so, they should be able to grow quickly because they have a very compelling yeah. offer on price. You know, for instance, yeah. leave payments and only do uh, sell those payments at cost and then later on, you know, new stuff and we'll we'll make the money later. I think yeah. perhaps with uh, equity capital being more expensive now, those days are probably behind us for now.
1: I never personally have like a model which basically predicated on let's build a community and then we'll see. It's a little bit too B2C for me. I'm a big B2B guy. I like to build a community. Is a very, as we all know, a huge challenge. And uh, it's a real ball breaker to build a community from scratch. And so, you know, I like enabler solutions and, and B2B solutions. And I like them to be with an anchor tenant that's w- willing to pay you day one. And, you know, if you can't, you know, in business, and we all know this, money is applause, right? So if you are a performer and you go, out on stage and nobody's applause, you know, if nobody's clapping, then you're failing and you can't just hope that people will love you. You need applause, you need money. So I don't like business models that are predicated on on let's look five years out, let's look two years out. If somebody's not prepared to pay you for your services today, you probably want to pivot quickly.
2: Yeah, we love analogies on this podcast. And yeah. I'm gonna save that one news at a later date. You know, one last thing on this sort of the rungs, I guess, that you guys are calling them, you know, offering other services. As technology is advancing and the ecosystem is growing, you don't always have to build your next offering, you know, like your next toolbox. Or, there's so many ways through APIs now to connect with other services that you still own within sort of your marketplace with the clients. But sort of you embed these things and there's revenue share and there's other ways. So I think, when you know, if you get too distracted with offering a million different services, that's where people get in big trouble, especially in our yeah. space. When, you know, we're really good at lending. or are really good at one thing. You overextend, and then you offer nothing, basically. So, yeah, yeah I think that, that no, helps no, so. I, I
1: agree. But at the same time, just to your point, because it is so much easier now to add services through APIs, you know, through an embedded financial partners, it is attractive to look at that as a way of enhancing your install base. It just, I think, comes down to how big is your install base and have you proven your product market fit? Absolutely. So that's your first run. So if you've proven your product market fit, you've got a big install base, they're all loving you. Then, as you indicated, it is fairly easy in this market to find best-of-breed API partners to add all those value-added uh, Runs. I'm not saying you have to build them. It's just like the banks. What I said is that the banks are happy by being pride of place on every street corner. What they want is to say, "Look, I have the trust of the individual. They associate and trust my color, a bank, and now I'm going to partner with folk to add value." At let's look at at RBC with their BNPL offering. Right? They went and they never built it in. internally. Uh, they went and been parking with bread, they pulled it in, and they white labeled it and offered it to their install base. And they, uh-huh. you know, they spit on it, they refined it, they got their marketing people in, all of that. But ultimately, they're layering on something as a rung on this massive base. And that is exciting.
2: I think it was just really a shameless plug, Gary, that I was trying to put out there in the world to the listeners that if you're, if you're servicing merchants, they need finance and give us a call, you know, don't build it yourself.
1: <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Well, I think we were just talking about this. You know, you've got a tool and uh, you can now apply that tool to power uh, really any a business or business community or a marketplace now with Tabit, right? So we were talking about, you know, how, how banks need your services and how they should be laying that into the way that they engage with their small businesses, etc. So Absolutely. That's what's so much fun about the CLA is, is you just have this all these different companies innovating, creating services that can be cross-pollinated. And at the end of the day, as I indicate, just make things better for Canadian small businesses, for Canadian consumers. And it's a massively exciting marketplace. And I think Canadian borrowers should be really proud of what Canadian businesses and lenders have been able to Demonstratively build over the last few years to service their needs.
0: Thanks, Green. Gary. I know that I speak for our entire, you know, space when I say that we're extremely lucky to have the CLA and to have you and all your energy and passion for the industry. Yeah, facilitating a whole bunch of conversations in commerce and and acting as that voice, which was sort of the original goal. So, CLA is now five years old. What do you see as? Uh, your main focus over the next five years and kind of fast forward five years from now what do you hope to achieve in that time
1: yeah good question not really too much for a person who looks too far ahead i like to get my hands dirty in the moment i'm fairly ambitious so i would like to say that within a short period of time we will represent any lender with a heartbeat in canada so I can't say we're going to represent every lender, just the ones with the heartbeat. But I do think that we are the place to be. And I'm, I'm excited about the pace we're growing. And so for us, in the analogy of ladders and rungs, uh, we built this massive rung. And we want to now take that to the next level and grow services on top of that. And you know focus on real problems that we're facing. I mean, one of the things that has a fair chunk of time is working with the Canadian government to better understand what a rate cap would mean to Canadian borrowers. So, as you may or may not know, uh, there's been a consultation with the government around the criminal rate of interest and there have been individuals who have proposed that that the APR rate as we have it today which is around 47% is dropped for Canadians. And that has massive implications across all our borrowers. And so I bring that up because that's the kind of thing which I want to solve more of. And in this particular situation, we've been able to go to the government and explain to them that, although it sounds really great to lower the rate of interest for Canadians, and it sounds like you're doing them a huge service so that next time they walk in to get a loan, Their loans, their rate of interest is capped. But the reality is, is that you're doing a huge disservice to the marketplace because there are unintended consequences and Canadians who need to have access to credit may not get access to credit because they fall outside of the risk band of certain lenders. And where do they go? At the end of the day, my job today and tomorrow, is to make sure the Canadians who need it today get access to credit, whether they be a small business, whether they be a consumer. And myopic strategies, which are sound great on paper to politicians, may not help Canadians in the long-term. And so our job is to make sure that we are the voice of the industry. And the more members we can represent, the more powerful that voice is and the better we can serve Canadians. And so my goal today and tomorrow and, and next year is to grow the community, to make sure that we offer services which are innovative, that represent the changing face of lending in Canada and create a collaborative environment uh, for our, our members so that they can share best practices, they can share opportunities, engage in partnerships, things like that. That is organically what I think is going to happen more and more through the CLA. And so I see more of what we have happening. And uh, I'm super excited about that growth and the opportunity for the this marketplace that we've created in Canada.
0: Absolutely. I'll just elaborate with my own thoughts a little bit on that unintended consequences. I think you were... Diplomatic in how you put it, Gary, when you said there may be unintended consequences. I mean, what you just described, there will be unintended consequences. It's math coming from the lending business. You know that if you don't have the yield to cover your expected loss, you're not going to make the loan. So it's crystal clear that that one would have those unintended consequences. And I'm so glad that the CLA is making that clear to the public and to policymakers. Thank you so much for being on the show, Gary. It's uh, been very insightful to hear. From the perspective of someone that bird's eye view, it's exactly kind of what I hope to get out of this discussion. So we're really happy to be members of the association and look forward to uh, next year's summit and everything else that we're going to do together in the future.
1: Yeah, no, thank you so much for having me. And and uh, one thing I just wanted again, shameless plugs aside. So we have the Lender summit, which was a lot of fun, oversubscribed. We have the bankers summit coming up in spring may 17th and the bankers summit will focus not as much on the alternative sector but will focus on the changing face of the bank and how banking in canada is changing which i think is a tremendously exciting subject and i look forward to having everybody who's listening to this podcast show up at mars on uh, may May seventeenth, and, and participate with us in, in the content and, and the
2: community. Awesome! Well, thanks, Gary, for what you're doing at the CLA, and a, and a big shout out to our good friend and CRO Kevin Clark, who's also on the board there with you guys at the CLA. So we're really bullish on what you're doing there.
1: Thank you. Yeah, we love Kevin.
0: Thanks a lot for tuning anyway. in, everyone. And until uh, next time, this is Venturepreneur.